0: Hello everyone, I'm Peter Lupson, author of the book Thank God for Football, about the church origins of 12 famous English football clubs who have played in the FA Premier League. The series is based on my book Thank God for Football, which is available from Amazon or directly from the publisher SPCK. Today's club is Birmingham City. On the 18th of July, 1876, at Holy Trinity Church in the Bordesley district of Birmingham, 21-year-old Billy Edmonds married his 20-year-old bride, Sarah Allender. The service was conducted by the vicar of Holy Trinity, the Reverend Richard Enracht. Together, Edmonds and Enracht were to make this church famous, but for completely different reasons. Edmonds was one of the members of the choir who created a football club at Holy Trinity, that was to become Birmingham City. At the same time as the football club was finding its feet, Enracht was at the centre of events that would propel the church into the national limelight. It is an extraordinary story. When Richard Enracht arrived at Holy Trinity in 1874, the parish had lost its rural charm. As a result of Birmingham's rapid development as a major industrial city, housing had encroached almost to the church's doorstep and the population of the area had soared. Enracht worked hard for the rapidly growing number of his parishioners. He was an energetic vicar and encouraged numerous activities that enriched the spiritual and social life of the parish. These ranged from Bible classes and prayer meetings to a choral society, a dramatic society, a games club for the over-18s, and two libraries. A temperance club offered a range of wholesome recreational activities as an alternative to the public house. For the poor, a soup kitchen was set up, and a volunteer group called the Dorcas Society made clothing for them. Three years before Enrak's arrival, some enterprising members of the choir had formed the Holy Trinity Cricket Club, with Enrach's permission and support, it continued to play in the church's name. In 1875, six of the cricketers, under the leadership of Billy Edmonds, decided to form a football club to keep fit during the winter months. They agreed to incorporate the name of the wider locality Small Heath into the club's title and to call it Small Heath Alliance to attract more players than the church alone could provide. Unknowingly, these six Holy Trinity choristers had taken a huge step towards the creation of Birmingham City Football Club. They played their first match in November 1875. Billy Edmonds was captain. It was a friendly against Holt Wanderers and finished a 1-1 draw. Just a year later, an exceptionally talented 19-year-old Arthur James joined the club. He was the younger brother of Tom and Fred James, both Holy Trinity choristers and founders of the club. A small, stocky figure, Arthur was gifted with incredible pace, unerring accuracy and a powerful shot, but was best known for his dazzling dribbling skills as a winger. In the 4-0 win against Harborne in March 1877, he scored the club's first hat-trick. Due to his presence, the team's standard of play continually improved, and they soon began to attract a following. In September of that year, the club found a ground in Muntz Street, which was to be their home for the next 29 years. It was an incredible first season there. Not one of the 22 games played was lost, and there were some outstanding results, including 8-0, 9-0 and two 10-0 victories. But while things couldn't have been better on the pitch disturbing events were beginning to unfold behind the scenes at Holy Trinity that would send shockwaves through the nation. Whilst Easter 1878 marked the climax of a highly successful football season for Billy Edmonds and his friends, it was the start of a long period of pain and distress for their vicar, Richard Enracht. He was to become the victim of a carefully planned conspiracy. The trouble began with the vestry meeting on Easter Tuesday, 1878, when Holy Trinity's two church wardens were elected. As was the usual practice, the vicar nominated his choice for the position of vicar's warden, while the choice of people's warden was put to a vote by a show of hands. The vote for people's warden was won by a substantial majority by John Perkins, who, unknown to all present, was guaranteed victory because he had the support of a large number of people unconnected with Holy Trinity who had infiltrated the meeting. But why was he so anxious to obtain the position that he was willing to rig the election? Because he wanted to use the power granted to individual church wardens by an Act of Parliament in 1874 to begin legal proceedings against a vicar who did not conduct Anglican church services in the prescribed way. The act in question was the Public Worship Regulation Act, which outlawed the use of rituals of Roman Catholic origin in Church of England services. Perkins was a member of a vigilante group who aimed to stop what they called ritualist practices. This group often resorted to devious tactics, not only infiltrating church warden elections to get their candidate appointed, but also using paid spies to track down ritualist clergymen. Perkins accused Enracht of being a ritualist, claiming that his services were not properly conducted in accordance with the rules of the Church of England. Ironically, Billy Edmonds and his friends in the choir would have taken part in these services. Immediately after Perkins' appointment as churchwarden, he started a campaign to discredit Enracht. He organised a series of inflammatory meetings, circulated abusive literature and posted placards in the area. He then contacted the head of the diocese, the Bishop of Worcester, with a list of complaints about the way Enracht was conducting the communion service, although many of the points he listed were actually lies. The Bishop dismissed most of them, but wrote to Enracht, pointing out that four of the practices he had adopted in services were illegal, and they had to stop them. After much discussion and an exchange of correspondence with the Bishop that lasted well over a year, Enracht finally agreed to his request. The bishop considered it the end of the matter and wrote to Perkins to say the situation was now resolved. Perkins, however, had already started legal proceedings against Enracht and even though the bishop asked him to stop them, Perkins refused. As a result, Enracht was sent for trial in August 1879 but he wouldn't defend himself, declaring that he didn't recognise the court. He argued that the Public Worship Regulation Act, from which the court derived its authority, had become law despite the fact that the Church of England Parliament, known as Convocation, had rejected it. He didn't feel that the court, a secular authority, had any spiritual jurisdiction over him. He was ruled to be in contempt of court and the charges against him upheld. He was sentenced to prison. Because of legal complications, it took more than a year for the sentence to take effect. But finally, in November 1880, the writ arrived for his imprisonment in Warwick Jail. About a thousand Holy Trinity parishioners, almost certainly Billy Edmonds and his friends in the choir among them, gathered at the vicarage that day to give him a rousing send-off to Bordesley Station from where he would take the train to Warwick. In the meantime, at the Holy Trinity East of Estry, in 1880, more than a thousand parishioners had turned up to vote in the election for church warden. Perkins was nominated by his supporters for re-election, but when a count of hands was taken, only 15 were raised in his favour. He immediately demanded a secret ballot, and with Enrack's approval, it went ahead. During the counting of the votes, Perkins stopped proceedings at the point when he saw that he'd registered only 24 compared with his rival candidates, 243. He withdrew from the contest and left the area. While Enracht was in prison, his numerous supporters worked hard to get the court's decision overturned. Their efforts met with success when the Court of Appeal ruled that he should be released on a technicality relating to the writ. He left Warwick Jail on the 17th of January, 1881, and returned to Holy Trinity but his story is far from over. We'll come back to it shortly. During this turbulent period at Holy Trinity, it was business as usual for Billy Edmonds and Small Heath Alliance. In 1878, the club joined the Birmingham and District FA and began to establish itself as a real force in the area. Again, it was largely due to the inspirational play of Arthur James, who had succeeded Billy Edmonds as captain. As one of the outstanding talents in the city, Arthur regularly represented Birmingham and District in inter-county matches which were only one level below international matches. At the start of the 1882-83 to season, the club showed its gratitude to him for his outstanding contribution to its progress. At the annual dinner, he was presented with a gold watch, a gold coin and an ornately illustrated certificate of thanks. But sadly, just a few weeks later, his fortunes took a rapid downturn when he was badly injured in a match. The injury was so serious that he was laid up for months, and the rumour even spread that he died. When he returned to the side in the 1883-84 to season, he resumed the captaincy, but never again made the same impact on the field. His appearances over the next three seasons became progressively fewer, and he finally retired at the end of the 1886-87 campaign. He can justifiably be considered the first superstar in Birmingham City's history. Back at Holy Trinity, events moved rapidly. Although Enracht was reinstated as vicar on his release from prison, his days at the church were numbered under the terms of the Public Worship Regulation Act, he would be compelled to stand down three years to the day following his formal court warning in 1879. In 1882, therefore, the Bishop of Worcester wrote to Enract, informing him that he could no longer serve as vicar. The new church wardens, in a desperate attempt to stop this happening, appealed to the Bishop of Worcester to reverse the decision on the grounds quote, that the whole prosecution appears to us to be a conspiracy. They also wrote to the Queen, the Prime Minister and the Archbishop of Canterbury, urging them to prevent Enracht's eviction. But it was no use. On the 3rd of March, 1883, Enracht received an official letter stating that his license had been withdrawn and that he could no longer practice as a clergyman within the Diocese of Worcester. A few days later, his successor, the Reverend Alan Watts, took his first service at Holy Trinity. Thousands assembled at the church to protest at Enrak's dismissal, and such was the strength of feeling that the police had to be called to keep order. Did Billy Edmonds and the others take part in this protest, I wonder? On the 28th of March, Enracht said farewell to his parishioners at a crowded meeting in a local school. There was great sadness at his leaving, and he received many tributes. The chairman of the meeting told the audience that Enracht was, quote, a man whose standard of goodness it was hard to reach, and that he had earned the esteem and love of his parishioners. A tribute also appeared in The Guardian, in which it was stated, The people have learnt to love and respect Mr Enracht, who has laboured in his parish with unwearied kindness, and to value the many agencies for good which had grown up under his ministry. The cricket club formed by his choristers was just one of the agencies for good that Enracht had supported. We've seen how it became Small Heath Alliance Football Club, but what were the steps that led to it becoming Birmingham City? By 1885, after continual success on the field, the decision was taken to turn professional. It was clearly the right decision. In their very first season as professionals, 1885-86, to 86, Small Heath Alliance reached the semi-final of the FA Cup. Fred James, the last of the founders still in the team, was understandably proud to show off his semi-final medal. He had seen the club come a very long way since its first match in 1875. In 1888, the club became a limited company, dropping the word Alliance from its title. Interestingly, it was the first football club in England to become a limited company with a board of directors. Growing ever more ambitious, the club joined the newly created Football Alliance in 1889, a strong league which, in 1892-3, was absorbed into the prestigious Football League to form its second division. After only two seasons in that division, Small Heath were promoted to the first division. The club that had started as a humble little church cricket team formed by choristers had now joined the very elite of English football. Two more name changes were to follow. In 1905 Small Heath became Birmingham and finally in 1946 Birmingham City. I hope you enjoyed that story. Join us again next time to hear another one about the church origin of a famous English football club. Until then, it's goodbye from me, Peter Lupson, author of Thank God for Football.